Well, good morning, church. Wherever you are at, we're so glad that you are joining us this morning for worship. This last week, we had an amazing opportunity to have folks in the building worshiping the Savior, celebrating Christmas, doing Christmas Eve services all of the evenings leading up to Christmas Eve. We had both Matt and Pete, myself, uh, leading in various locations. Our worship team uh, put together multiple teams to be able to lead. It was a wonderful time, and many folks were blessed by the opportunity to be here. We would have you be praying with us as we begin to look at a reopening plan here at the church. During the course of this next week, we'll give you some more details on that. But we are eager to begin that process of being in each other's presence for worship on a weekly basis. Also during the course of this month, our worship team put together some amazing worship sets and we've picked from some of those sets a group of worship songs that we believe will be a blessing to you this morning. So as Pastor Pete leads us uh, in the teaching and as AJ and the team lead us in worship, we pray that you would join us in these few days just after Christmas uh, in one more celebration of our Savior's birth. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, Salem Hiders and guests. We welcome you here today. We're so glad that you're joining us for service. I have a scripture I want to read to you out of Psalm 95 as we uh, get ready to worship today and hear from God's word. Uh, this psalm says this. It says, O come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He deserves our worship and our praise today. So let's do that together now.
Call to all saints. Sing this. No come, oh ye faithful, enjoy.
sing it.
Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you, and I, I hope you've had a chance this past week to celebrate Christmas in some unique way in this season. And this morning, we're going to just take a, a few minutes to stop and consider a pretty familiar passage in Scripture, uh, and I just want us to be able to unpack it. And I, I have this nesting doll here, and uh, maybe this week you received a gift, and when you opened it, you were maybe not as impressed or didn't really know what you had there. And I think that's kind of the thing here with these nesting dolls, is you look at it and it just looks like a, a wooden doll, but what's cool about these nesting dolls is as you open them, it reveals uh, more gifts. And so you can open it and you think, oh, now I have two. But as you con continue to twist it, you realize that there's more than meets the eye. And I think that's what I want to try to accomplish this morning as we look at Scripture, because sometimes when we get to the Christmas season, uh, we look at passages that are really familiar because they, they're kind of the same ones we go to each year. Uh, but there is so much valuable truth in them that I don't want us to miss it. And so there's this idea of pondering something, to just look at it. And, and as you begin to look at it over a set of minutes or days, weeks, months, it begins to continue to unfold and you begin to see all the beauty that's contained in it. And so we're not going to take weeks or months this morning but I wanted us to direct our attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, I would, I would love for you to join me in John, chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 14, which, if you've grown up in the church, will be a verse that maybe you memorize as a young child, because it's a pretty familiar verse uh, for Christians to know. And we're just going to sit here, and I, I want to highlight three things that kind of jumped out to me as I took time to ponder this verse during the Christmas season. So let's read what it says. In, in John 1, 14, uh, the Apostle John writes this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a pretty impactful uh, verse to us because we understand that the Word here is not just speaking about some abstract or uh, thing or some inanimate object. The Word is actually God. 
In the first part of John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we understand that the Word here is referring to God. But in scriptures, we, 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 when we kind of unpack all of the different passages in the Bible and kind of start to see how they fit together, we learn that this was not just something that John discovered, but this was something that was revealed to man that had been predicted earlier. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, the prophet tells of God sending a son, and it says a virgin would conceive of a, a boy, and that they would call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This was the same prophecy that was reiterated to uh, Joseph when he was visited and, and given this message about Mary, Jesus' biological earthly mother, that this child that wasn't from Joseph was of the Lord, and that this child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so as we look at John chapter 1, verse 14, the word is God. And so in, in the Bible speak or in church speak, uh, this concept of God becoming a human is known as the incarnation. It just means became flesh. And that's what we kind of highlight here in verse 14, the incarnation of Jesus. And I just want us to take a few minutes to ponder what that means, God becoming a human. And there are three things that pop out to me as I pondered this verse that I wanted to share with you this morning. It says here, the word became flesh. That word became just kind of stood out to me because that word is inspiring. The word God became flesh. What this communicates to me is that God actually made a choice to send his son and that that son, God the son, Jesus, became flesh. That Jesus chose to humble himself. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was God and that he took on the form of flesh and that he did this in obedience to the Father's will and that he humbled himself to do this. He made a choice to do this. And we know that this was a necessary choice for us to have salvation. And so this is inspiring to me that that as God looked at creation and he saw all of the sin and all of the conflict that that we have actually caused and brought on ourselves, he took it upon himself to send his son to come in human flesh to live a life and to die for our sins. Uh, in, in, a, in a commentary on the Christmas story, J.I. Packer, a theologian, writes this. He says, The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. If you really think about it, man, for God, this, the creator of all things, the ruler, the authority, who looks down on his creation and sees the mess that we've made because of our sinfulness, our rebellion, our walking away from him, he took it upon himself to come down in the form of a man so that he could live a life and die, give his life up, for the sins that we have committed. That to me is inspiring, that God loved me enough to humble himself and become a man. But we also understand this, is that the second thing that jumps out to me is what it goes on to say. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
this phrase dwelt among us to me is an incredible phrase. I'm reminded in Exodus chapter 33 that God is interacting with Moses on Mount Sinai and Moses asks the Lord if he could see his face and God actually says, no, you cannot see my face for if you were to look upon me, it would kill you. And so he tells Moses to kind of back up and to kind of hide in this cleft of the mountain. And it says that he allowed uh, Moses to see his presence go by. And it says Moses saw the back of the Lord. And it says that just that encounter with the Lord, just seeing his presence go by and seeing the back of the Lord, which the Lord allowed Moses to do, caused Moses to come down the mountain and he was radiating from that exposure to God. Think about what John is saying here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what I think Moses would say? Can you believe this? I asked to see the Lord. I asked to be able to interact with him in this personal way. And he said I couldn't happen. But now he's made a way for us to interact with the living God. He came in human form and he dwelt among man. This is incredible. In fact, this is not only incredible, this is miraculous. The fact that God would take on human form and live amongst his creation That's an incredible thought. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us is both inspiring and incredible. But there's one more thing that pops out to me, and that's this. It goes on to say, and we, so John is saying, he's, he's giving eyewitness testimony here, and we observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, That phrase, full of grace and truth, to me is irrational. Here you have God who who created all things and he created man in his image and he, he breathed life into man and he created man with the capacity to be in relationship with him. And he he established man and he and he set him up with dominion or rulership, stewardship over God's creation, and he had given man the freedom to enjoy God's creation and enjoy relationship with him. And we know the story from Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned and broke that fellowship with God and started a pattern of brokenness throughout creation. And God, being a holy and righteous God, could have just looked down there and said, they've messed up, and he would have been right to just rule and say, I'm going to punish you for your sin and I'm going to remove you but he didn't do that. No, it says that he came to earth and that Jesus was now this picture of the glory of God that man could interact with and could see in person. Obviously, the glory of God at that point is veiled by human flesh, but be able to recognize the fullness of God's glory there in Jesus. And yet, Jesus didn't come as a dictator. No, he came as a humble king. He came as a servant. This really is irrational. He came into a a place that people who had rebelled against him, and yet he came and he loved them, and he interacted with them. And what was obvious about him is that he is full of grace and truth. Tim Keller, in, in a little book called Hidden Christmas, says this, A God who was only holy would not have come down to us, in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. A deity that was an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us. Neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. 
The biblical God, however, is infinitely holy, so our sin could not be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. He's also infinitely loving. He knows we could never climb up to him, so he has come down to us. God had to come himself and do what we couldn't do. I think in most of our lives, if someone has wronged us or offended us or has treated us harshly, we would most likely respond in our flesh as being kind of repulsed by that, not wanting to associate with that, maybe cutting ourselves off from that kind of treatment or some, that, that type of violation. But God came in flesh, Jesus Christ. He, he lived among the people who weren't perfect, who were sinful, and he showed grace and he showed truth. He is a righteous king, meaning he couldn't just overlook our sin, but he came as the solution to our sin. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, that qualified him to die, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. And because he was God, he was able to incur all of God's wrath towards sin in his death on the cross. But because he was also God, not just a man, he did not stay in the grave, but he rose from the dead three days later, proving that he was God. Fully God, fully man. And now, through his death, burial, and resurrection, you and I can have a relationship with our creator once again. Man, this is an incredible thing. And I hope in this season, we would just spend some time pondering some of these amazing truths from these familiar passages in Scripture. Because when we spend time just looking at them and thinking about them, not in a rush to move on to the next thing, every time the Lord reveals amazing, inspiring, incredible truths to us that not only encourage us, but stir our affections for Him and, and, and draw us closer to Him as our King of kings and Lord of lords. I hope this morning, as you've hopefully had a chance maybe to gather with uh, uh, your family or maybe you're going to watch this and then talk about it later this week with uh, friends or family, that you will have spent time just, just taking a moment to ponder the fact that God came in human flesh, that he dwelt among his people, and that he was full of grace and truth, and that we, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, can now live in relationship with him. This is an incredible truth that I hope encourages you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the incarnation. We thank you for coming as God, that, that your son came not, not pushing back on your desire, but that he came and he humbled himself and he took on human flesh so that he could live the life that we could not live, so that he could offer his life in our place and die the death that we should have died and now his offering a salvation that we could never earn on our own. God, thank you for sending your son. And we celebrate that this, at this time of year, God. We celebrate the birth of our Savior. But God, we just pray that you would help us to take time pondering this morning how incredible it was for, for your son to come and to, to live among us and that we actually get to know you better, more intimately, more deeply, watching Jesus live, hearing his words, seeing how he acted, and, and that his life is not only a living example of how we should live, but also reflects who you are and your glory for us to take in. And God, that, that grace and truth that was that epitomized what Jesus said and did would encourage us, would convict us, but would, would cause us to 
repent and confess and draw close to you because you are a loving God. And that love has been proven in the generosity of the gift of your son. So this Christmas, God, would you help us to take time to ponder before we move on to the other things of this season? God, we love you. We thank you for this encouraging word. We pray it in your son's name.